Hi, hello, and welcome to Oh Boy, the podcast presented by Man Repeller. I'm your host, Jay Bume, and today's guest is the activist, performance artist, writer, and a whole host of other awesome things, Sarah Sophie Flicker. We had a great conversation, it was all over the place, and I loved it. And at the beginning of this, we're talking about her husband, the director, Jesse Peretz, whose work you may have seen in Girls and the film Our Idiot Brother, among many other things. So in the first part, we were talking about this movie he made a few years ago called The Chateau. It stars Paul Rudd. And if you haven't seen it, I definitely recommend checking it out. It's two in the morning on Monday night right now. And if anybody has any tips or tricks for time management, please get in touch with me. Okay, now we're up to speed. Let's get into it. And that's a, I mean, that's actually like a perfect way to go into a union with somebody, you know, and I think there's not, you know, there's probably fewer men in this world who would do the deepening heart (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the deepening heart um whatever the shared heart the shared yeah. heart I, I mean my husband's about as sensitacho and feminine as feminist at mm-hmm. least as they come and i don't think i could get him to do that your husband's a director he's as well. a director yeah um did he direct that movie the chateau yes oh no one ever asked that question it's the best movie ever i love that movie so oh, damn much yeah that movie is so amazing yeah so, i love that movie yeah, fantastic movie. It's it it's um, I think it's one of, it's one of his favorite things he's ever done, and certainly so one of my favorite. But they keep talking about doing a chateau. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah, which I'm obviously down for because it would mean the whole family could, go to, could France go to France for a sec. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. awesome. Uh-huh. Well, well, where did you grow up? Um, I was born in Denmark. My mother's Danish. My dad is a New Jersey Jew. Where in New Jersey? Yay! Um, uh, um, his parents ended up in Trenton, but it was a little, um, like, socialist town called Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. God, I hope I'm getting this right. I should have no, rushed up on my own. There's a lot of Quakers down in yeah, that area. Yeah, so it was, like, a yeah. Jewish socialist. Like, yeah. Ben Sean is from this tiny community, and um, my grandfather was the mayor. So my, my dad was from there, and he went when he was 20 on this... A trip to Europe, and he loved jazz, so he was in a jazz club in Copenhagen, saw this 16-year-old woman across, you know, young woman across the room, and thought, that's a woman I want to spend my life with, and so pursued her heavily for eight years until she caved. She just didn't want to move to the U.S. So he stayed in Copenhagen. They sort of, they went back and forth, and I was born there, and we lived there a lot until I started school, and then um, I started school in Palo Alto. I went to school in Palo Alto. Oh wow! Yeah, that's um, that's like I've been out there before. It's a kind of a little magical town, mm. right? Where they're trying to like, they try to make it like a, like a everything's cool town. I don't know. It was it was not that when I was growing up. There. Oh, really? I think perhaps it's become that. Um, it I didn't love it there. Uh, it it was definitely. Um, well, there's Palo Alto and East Palo Alto. Palo mm. Alto is very affluent. And then right, East like Palo Alto is, stuff, right? is, yeah, like poverty line, um, mostly people of color. And, and that dichotomy never sat well with me. And it was also very, like, Palo Alto is very, you know, American exceptionalism, perfectionism. And right. that's just not for me so much. Right. So I moved to San Francisco pretty much immediately. Well, well, how did they, well, first off, back up for a second, how did they end up there? My dad went to Stanford. Okay. And he was a lawyer and he was, did all this cool stuff. He was uh, in the civil rights movement and he was in the South and making sure people could vote and doing all this stuff. And my mom was practicing law or going to law school in Denmark and um, grew up with her grandfather, my great grandfather was the prime minister of Denmark who brought democratic socialism to Denmark. So I grew up with these great, you know, um, social justice warrior parents. Right. And my dad went to Stanford for law school and then some, and was practicing criminal law, I think, and then ended up doing family law, but started doing family law in Palo Alto, right? As Silicon Valley was, was blowing up. And oh, wow. as you can imagine, there were plenty of excitingly 
<laughs> insane divorces. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he's been doing that. And now they both are predominantly in Denmark and then live with us in Brooklyn um, part of the year as That's well. That's amazing. Yeah. That seems like a dream, right? Um, it, it is, yeah. yeah. Some sort of dream. <laughs> Um, well, what was your experience growing up in, in Palo Alto like? I don't, it was, it, it just, it, I don't know. For some reason, it wasn't the most positive place for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my mom hated it and that definitely rubbed off on me. Um, I also think like, I'm, I think I'm older than you are, but, um, you know, I think my, our parents' generation, mm-hmm. I think, women who had children still had really limited options on how to be a parent and work at the same time. So my yeah. mom gave up a lot yeah. in order to raise me and I was an only child, which so was I. Weird. So wild. did you like being an only child? I did, but my mom also like had to give up her job yeah. to, uh, to raise me. Yeah. And, know? and, um, and I, and the, uh, not so much resentment, but the sort of, um, hole that that left in her was always really palpable to me, mm-hmm. I guess. And, um, and I felt always partially responsible for it. I also didn't love being an only child, which is why I have three kids. Right. You know, I mean. I know. I get that. I get that. And so, yeah, I mean, I had a lot of friends and that was fine. But, you know, you just inevitably spend time alone or spend time around adults a lot more, which isn't always a, that's can be a great thing as right. well. But I don't, you know, when I look at my kids, they know each other in a way that I don't think I'll, I, I don't know anyone that way, and certainly no one knows me in that way. And, right. And, you know, for better or for worse, I think that's, you know, a really beautiful relationship. Like, it breaks it my heart open every day when I see them <laughs> in a good way. You yeah, know, I just yeah. see them have this... I wasn't laughing at you. No, no. it's just like this closeness <laughs> and this intimacy that, you know, you just don't have with anyone else. And, I, and, I, and for me, at least, like, I've spent my whole adult life sort of trying to create those that sense of community and relationships. I'm with, with you on that right? 110%. Right. I mean, know? I think only children are very social. Yes. Like, because we seek out those relationships right. that we didn't have with siblings. Possibly. A big mistake that I made was I tried to put that kind of relationship on my friends and, like, be that kind yeah, of yeah, yeah, relationship yeah. with yes. them. But, like, when they already had brothers and sisters, they didn't need any more. No. So, like, you wouldn't get that back. No. Yes. And it took, it took, it took a, a while, while to yes. figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> That's so true. And yes. I weirdly, and now it's, I do have a lot of, some of my closest friends who aren't um, necessarily like intuitively the person I would be closest with, but are my closest friends because I think we have that mm-hmm. connection mm-hmm. with each other. When you were growing up, did, you know, what kind of kid were you? What were you spending your time doing? Um, it's so funny that you're asking that. Um, I haven't <laughs> thought about any of this stuff in such a long time. Uh, I was really into ballet and theater. Really? Where um, did that come from? Uh my mom danced ballet, the mm. Royal Danish Ballet. Oh, wow. I mean, I think most kids do there. Like, it's a good, solid. So I, I and I was good, you know, I'm just, I was just sort of naturally good you at it. So I, I was very serious. It. Thank you. <laughs> um, I was very serious about ballet. I was very serious about musical theater. So I did that um, really seriously until I was about 14 or 15. And then, you know, discovered uh romance and music and yeah. um and spent a lot of time in San Francisco and this girl Tracy Hobstetter she gave me her expired passport which I used as an ID for it's like cool move. from like 14 to 21 yeah so that was great so that that whole world of San Francisco was open to you yes and, and what was going on there at that time um what was going on so I I dated a lot of musicians my first like guy that I really fell in love with was in a band called um Death Angel, mm-hmm. and then, <laughs> and then through him, I met like Primus and oh, Faith yeah. No More, and Metallica, and you yeah. know, and like every band that was rolling through there. Uh, Mr. Bungle was like one of my favorites. Oh, growing so up. good, so good. So I went oh, to all God. those shows, yeah. and and I'd been really into punk. Like I was like a punk theater mm-hmm. kid. If that's yeah, yeah, thing. no, it's, I mean it's San, kind of a thing. Right? San Francisco had like the probably the most theatrical punk scene. Well, of all we the had zones, the Varsity. Right? I mean, I don't know if anyone's that, ever. Is that the a Varsity theater? was this theater where like the best punk bands would play in okay. downtown Palo Alto, and it was like a huge scene. Wow. So I was really into that. So I was into theater and punk, I guess. Yeah. Um, and was kind of goth-y. Mm-hmm. Just like treading 
like slowly right which i think is great for young people like if everyone was goth they would age really well because i never went in the sun and and i feel like my skin's really holding up yeah because of it yeah because of my goth and i think all of our listeners should as well everybody get that sunscreen on yeah get that sunscreen on go goth and put your sunscreen on (laughs) um beach goth Oh yeah, which <laughs> yeah, that's a thing. It I mean, is that is thing. kind of a thing. Yeah, it's my thing still. Um, but uh, <laughs> what was I even talking? Oh, okay. So then I was going out with the guy in Death Angel, and then through him, I met uh, the guitar player of Metallica, Kirk Hammett. Mm-hmm. He was married at the time, but we always got along really well. And then he got separated, and so when I was like seventeen, he asked me out on a date. Oh wow! And we went to Denny's. And stayed up all night. And um, he was a great... So he was my boyfriend for five years. Oh, wow. So what era Metallica is this? This is the Black Album. Oh, wow. So this is like when Metallica was just like first becoming like superstars. Right. Like, and Justice... I came in like at the very... You know, I met him, I think, when... And I went to the Injustice for All show. Like Mm -hmm. those... That series of shows. Yeah. Is that what that album was? Yeah, called? it was Justice Frog. Yeah, because yeah, like, I remember I was just learning how to play the drums. Right. And I didn't have a drum set at the time, and I would air drum to that song one. Yeah, so and good. like my first drum lesson, I went in there. I was like, I want to learn how to play one by Metallica, and the drum teacher just looked at me. He's like, God damn, you, you can't do that. I mean, kid. that's really aiming high. It's <laughs> aiming very high. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just played that song for my daughter the other day, and she was like, No, uh, uh-uh, to that, <laughs> mom. Yeah. <laughs> um, put the Katy Perry back on. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so I went out with him for five years. He was a great first boyfriend. Wow. He's a Buddhist, a really sweet, caring, um, respectful person. Did, I don't know. Did was, you get to travel all around with him? Um, well, so the funny dichotomy was I was going out with him. I was finishing high school. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Mills College, which is um, in Oakland. And it's a very feminist college mm. and it's only women so I would I was in school so I didn't tour during school, school year, but then yeah. you know I'd go out on summers and did you enjoy that I did and then I just will never there's one summer where they were on tour with Guns N' Roses oh do you remember God. that tour and Faith No More opened yes, up yes yeah I was I was in fourth grade and I begged my parents <laughs> yeah, to let so me much go older than I was like, no but like I like this is the thing I was like the kid who like you know I I was like too young yeah. for the things that I loved. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that guy, I remember they played at Giant Stadium. Wait, did you go? No, I okay, didn't get to that go. That was hardcore. I mean, that and would I think be a about little it. much for you. I know. Yeah. But my first show was White Zombie. That's when I was cool. Like, but you know who opened up? No. Caius. Yes. Babes in Toyland. <laughs> Amazing. And Reverend Horton Heat. Fantastic. For White Zombie. That's great. Good show. Crazy. That was like great my first show. First show. Yeah. But anyway, I remember that tour specifically. Uh-huh. I'll never forget it. I want because I was like Metallica and Guns N' Roses are my favorite bands. No, you it know? was it was um, it was definitely eye opening for me. All you know, and for, and I think I drove everybody crazy because <laughs> I was like that annoying person that was like to the girls who were just like flashing their yeah. breasts to get back to. I'm like, you don't have to do that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you you know, be um, you know, let your power come from. Who, oh my God, and and then you know, and then poor like James Hetfield, who at the t- I think he's like the nicest dude ever now. Yeah. At the time was, you know, having his own. Sure. You know, and imagine being that famous that fast and all that stuff. But um, I remember like he would say sort of like sexisty things or something and then i'd be the one that'd be like i'm a woman not a girl and i need you to respect you know and these poor guys were just like shut the fuck up um you know but at the same time it was probably like a good um a, a good lesson in like um sexism you know up close and and real personal and and um and yeah, so that was just like an interesting period, right? You know, and I and I, because you're being like turned on by all the stuff you're learning at school, yeah. And it's just like that. It's like that kind of thing. Like, I do, like. Do you ever have that moment where you when you first realize like how everything's kind of wrong in the world, and you're like, yeah. guys, yeah, we need to do something about this. Right. Did you do, no, wait, Do you know about this? Yeah. Yes. You said no. Do you know about this? We got to do something. Except you know, I was like the one screaming and crying in the yeah. corner. But um, no, and no, you know, I think I feel really lucky that I had that education and figured all that stuff out mm-hmm. so early on. And it definitely has been like the filter through which I've lived my life. That's so great. It's awesome. So when you were in school, did you while you were there, did you kind of have 
an idea of what you wanted to do afterwards? Um, I became really interested in the law when I was there and in sort of understanding uh, social justice issues. Mm -hmm. And um, I I just had some great teachers there. um, And the student body there is like, it's all women, but it's very diverse and women Mm -hmm. from all different backgrounds. So I became interested in social justice. Yeah. And um, so I went to law school after that. And, um, were your parents stoked about that? I think they were shocked, you know, cause I had, st- I was studying like theater and uh-huh. law and yeah. I think everyone just assumed I'd go into, you know, theater. And, um, so I think they were surprised and, you know, and then at the, and then Kirk and I had broken up and I was dating women and had like nose rings and pink hair and the whole thing enrolled into USF law school thinking, you know, I was going to change the world. So this is like mid-late 90s SF, It's right? late 90s, Late 90s, yeah. yeah. Almost 2000s. And, uh, and figured out pretty early on that I did not want to be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. It was also interesting coming from a women's college where I really feel like um, the stark contrast was, you know, I, I really felt comfortable um, speaking in class and voicing opinions and, ha- and having... Right back and forth, you know, banter, and then going to this kind of conservative law school. You know, I think I sort of bypassed that that first year in college where most women feel like their voices are kind of silenced, you know, or it happens a bit earlier for some. But, you know, so I really felt that, and I also felt really disempowered by it. So I really, and, and, I, and the argumentative part of the law wasn't for me. I'm not a very argumentative person. I, I would much rather, like, persuade people through right. like love and reason and <laughs> softness whatever yeah. um no, so that's great there's nothing wrong uh, with that but then i found you catch this, a lot of more flies with honey i know. You know and this and just on our vacation i was with a lot of people who i really love but one person in particular is um you know we we've sort of always gone back and forth on on these ideas of um political correctness and mm-hmm. um and represent you know we're with a lot of people who are directors and producers and everyone's sort of in entertainment and yeah he's a director and and he's very typically masculine and especially like white male masculine and and very aggressive is about his opinions and i've always felt sort of um put in a corner by him and 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 i don't do well in those situations like i consider myself an activist but i'm not i'm not good at um people being aggressive towards me and I've always felt really bad about that Mm -hmm. and like I needed to somehow rise to the occasion and become more confident and masculine and and this last week like three days ago I had this breakthrough with him where I was like I'm not gonna try to argue with him because and and we were talking we were specifically arguing about representation um in entertainment and how much representation matters and how you know I don't know if I actually believe this but there's a saying you know you can't be it if you can't see it meaning you know if people of color and women and whatever don't see themselves represented um in the media then you know it's it's hard to find or you know and and also your story is not being told so we were arguing about that and then i'm i'm coming i'm coming back around watch this so then i i um and i was with my friend who's very fiery and was they were yelling at each other and i just decided i'm not gonna do that because it's not my style and at this late age i realized what works for me is just (laughs) being calm and having you know and and speaking from the heart and having a conversation and for the first time we kind of i think i got him to like turn around a little bit on it and see so yes you know the tide is like changing on all that stuff yeah you know like these conversations I wasn't having these kinds of conversations like four or five years ago. Even. Right. And I'd like to consider myself like an open and like, you know, um, you know, not a, not a selfish person. And mm-hmm. it's like, it's, it, it, you know, it's, it's exciting. It's, it's, it's good that all this stuff is happening finally. Um, you know, so, you know, some of my favorite movies, like, you know, like, like one, I was like, one of my dream people to talk to on this podcast is like Amy Heckerling to talk to, oh, like great. Catherine Bigelow. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's, and I've talked about this. On, I forget who I was talking. I think I was interviewing Silas Howard, who's a oh, director. who I grew up with in San. I mean, didn't grow up with, but like, but cut did my you teeth go to with... his coffee shop or her yes, coffee shop? Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I know Silas so well. Yeah. I know Harry Dodge. Like, yeah, so cool. Those are my Silas is awesome. Yes, 
But I remember talking about, like, there's a reason that point, like, think about, like, Point Break or think about Zero Dark Thirty or right. Hurt Locker, anything that Catherine Bigelow's done. And think uh-huh. about, like, those are action films. Right. And, like, those, those films feel like a million miles away from everything else you've ever mm-hmm, seen. And mm-hmm. they're amazing. Yeah. And, like, why is that, like, such a rarity? Right. You know? Well, because it's a different, it's a different perspective, yeah. ultimately. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's funny because that's the way this whole conversation on our trip started was we were talking about um, our favorite films and and granted I've seen no films because I have three Uh young kids so um I was voicing an opinion based on nothing but um hey I do it all the time (laughs) don't we all um (laughs) but so we were talking about cartel which I have not seen but my my friend who's a documentary filmmaker and a woman was saying you know I'm just so sick of this same war story being told over and over again and I've been writing a lot about um sort of bringing a more feminine uh, energy into, you know, be it a boardroom or a peacemaking process. Like, radical changes happen when you bring women into these fields that are historically dominated by men. And, you know, I don't know if that's nature nurture, and I'm not really interested in, I don't care, really. Mm -hmm. I just think that, um, generally speaking, there's a different perspective that right. gets brought in and so we were making that was the argument we were having and he really took he kind of started he to really took to he did towards the it took yeah. us a couple days though <laughs> and and people this, storming yeah. out of rooms and <laughs> <laughs> you know classic vacation behavior that's great i yeah. love it but um so you were okay so just to even go back so you're leaving school uh-huh. you do, you're going to law school uh-huh. but you don't want to be a lawyer so right. what do you do oh, okay so so i was in this really privileged position because my law school was getting paid for i didn't have to worry about that student debt which is you know a major i mean i think we underestimate like what a big burden we put on young people right with student debt and um and i met my mentor at law school who is this woman named Stephanie Wildman, and she was my torts teacher, which is a really boring class, except... I know all, it's like, oh, I know all, I've watched a documentary about tort reform, so I okay, guess I know you everything probably, about You it, probably right? know more than I okay. do, because I think I <laughs> snoozed my way through that class, except she was just so amazing and had written this book, you know, that year, maybe a year before, called Privilege Revealed, which was basically all about um, privilege in America and mm-hmm. white privilege, and... Um, I was just so inspired by her, and so she was just like, you, you're creative. Don't be a lawyer. Like, take this education and go out and make art about these topics. Mm-hmm. So I was her teacher's assistant. Through her, I taught um, street law, which is like a, you go into um, public schools and teach law to seniors. I got to take feminism in the law and fiction, you know, and just all these great, you know, and I got very inspired also by constitutional law and, um, and law school really like is a incredible, um, tool for writing and thinking because ultimately what you're learning is how to see something big and derive the important, um, thesis, you Mm -hmm. know, out of Mm -hmm. it or your argument or, or so you, you basically are like seeing the connections between all different things in the past and the present and, so it was exciting. It was really exciting yeah. for me, and I think. And um, so I finished law school, and did not take the bar, and immediately moved to LA to act for two years, <laughs> and that was a disaster. <laughs> what do you remember from that time? Um, just like what stands out to you? I mean, it was just like the most depressing, hopeless, disempowering. Um, you know, and here I had come from this really empowered education and feeling like I was really out there ready to change the world and realizing, you know, I would not wish that career on anybody. It's It's just a brutal, especially for women. It is a brutal fucked up, the actress part of it, you know, and I think it's, you have so little power and um, it's so much, you know, determined by what you look like and how much you're willing to go along with the system. And I just, that was just not, for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I met Jesse, my husband, okay. actually through Melissa Oftermauer, who took me to, she said, we're buying tickets to New York for New Year's and we're going to this New Year's party and you're going to marry this guy. Cause Melissa's kind of like a little bit of a white witch, you know, she's <laughs> like, um, got the magic. Yeah. So we went to this party and there were like a thousand people. It was on, um, Canal street mm-hmm. in this loft 
and I met Jesse for two seconds and she was like, oh yeah, he, you know, he's really smart. He comes from this really political family. He's a filmmaker and he used to, you know, he formed the Lemonheads with Evan Dando and I was like, oh, the Lemonheads, <laughs> that's so lame. Like that's a, and, and, you know, and like being like a West Coast punk yeah. person that like, no, yeah. what's lamer than like sweater punk, yeah. you know, not, it's just not cool. So I was not going in with the best attitude. So that's it. We went home. We met each other for two seconds. And then living in L.A., I started working on a documentary with a friend of mine um, and interviewing. And it never got made, which is too bad because its time has come and gone. But it was about um, music video and how that sort of changed the landscape of music and also like changed our attention spans and MTV. And so we were interviewing all these amazing video directors and Jesse at the Jesse was directing a lot of the Foo Fighter videos. Yes, he, he did he all did those, those great Foo Fighter yeah, videos, right? Yeah, he did right? so many yeah. videos. So I remember being watching those on MTV and yeah, always seeing yeah, his yeah. name pop. Yeah, yeah. Like he, what was that great one where like uh, Tenacious D was like the flight attendants? Oh, that's learn. He won a Grammy for that, and we have a Grammy in our house because <laughs> of that. Yeah. yeah, hell yeah. Um, <laughs> and he also did like those Jimmy the Cab Driver spots. Oh my on, god, with Donald Logue, he Donald, directed yeah, those spots. Yeah, yeah. All, they they came up. So they went to college together. Those two. Dude, so I fucking love Donald I know, Logue so he's much. So great. I rewatched like the Dow of Steve a couple he's months so ago. Great. Like he's and such like really one of the smartest people I've ever met. He did that great like crime show. Remember, it was only no, on I for mean, a season. I literally have seen nothing. It was called Terriers. It was yes, like one of the yes, best I shows. Yes, I remember. I didn't see it, but I remember. No, he's great. We see him, yeah. you know, whenever we can. He's you know he's like our family that was such a cool okay this is the thing like as a as a director who's mm-hmm. like working in the world now yeah, yeah like you know growing up watching all those great videos yeah. when they had like budgets yeah you know and yeah. for all the stuff where you could like you could make all of these like really great really weird really exciting things mm-hmm. you know like i've just pined for that time so much because also at that time mtv always used to run all those great yeah. interstitial short films sure. that were like brilliant and you like, know? and 120 minutes, like oh you actually God. got to see good stuff. My, and their sh- <laughs> their programming was good. It was good. My I was I was raised by Jews in New Jersey, uh-huh. and I had a bar mitzvah. And my where bar, in New Jersey? Central Jersey, like okay. n- right next to the town where Bruce Springsteen's from. Oh, cool. Uh-huh. So I'm in the Bruce Belt. Okay. And uh, the theme of my bar mitzvah was Jason's Headbangers Ball. Oh my God. Amazing. Good for you. <laughs> so good. I'm sure there's like any person who's like in their 20s will be like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? Yeah. Wrong. You got look it up. The internet's at your fingertips. Right. Oh, there's all this great remember, stuff. Like Ricky, Ricky Rackman. That was he was not so awesome. He was not so cool. I mean, I remember we all kind of hated him, right? Yeah. But still, like Headbangers Ball was great. Yeah. But so we're getting off track. Okay, so Lemonheads, music oh, videos. Okay, and so, so you then met we, Jesse. Yeah, and then we were interviewing him, and I was like, "Wait, he's really cute, and he's super smart." Yeah. Um, but then I w- it's a long story, but I was living with somebody who had dated him, and it and she had got she got jealous, so we had this whole sort of like covert um, flirtation. And he lived in New York, mm-hmm. um, so then he was in LA doing a commercial, and at the time, commercials also had big budgets. Yes. Remember yes. that? Yeah. And um, <laughs> remember commercials. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, so I was living in LA and auditioning and failing at everything. And, and I was in a lot of music videos. I was in the weirdest, like, I have to try to find some of what, them. What, what were some of the like ones? Like some Vincent Gallo thing. You were, you were hanging out with Vincent Gallo? Yes. And he, yeah, he's not my favorite, but I think he knows that because I've, <laughs> him i mean he's a creepy republican also yes and a sexist creepy republican he made did you hear like that last movie he made where he wasn't telling people what the story or the script yeah, was he he was a weird he was a weird dude um or is a weird dude i don't can know. i say one thing though yeah buffalo 66 no that's it's, it's it, damn good it's good it's, it's great good. it's good it's yeah it is good separate that from like the yeah, person and you know yeah you know what I, mean? Or, I mean i don't even know him but it's sometimes hard to i mean i try to be big and separate art from the artist but it's i can't hard. always do it it's hard um but i mean just i don't even know some of the shit i mean i was in a whole video i, remember, I was in commercials you know like really b-team movies mm-hmm. um n- nothing great and i was also assisting makeup stuff so anyhow and Jesse, this is in la this is all yeah. in la it was that was a really i i find la really fun to visit now but like incredibly depressing to i found it very depressing i agree with you 100 percent 
Um, and really isolating. And for totally. only children, it triggered a lot of so much. <laughs> lonely feelings. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Did you, um, I spent, I spent a year in LA working on a documentary. Um, about a bunch of artists that maybe you do you know like uh, Margaret Kilgallen and yeah, Barry yeah, McGee yeah and yeah Chris so Robinson. I know all them so yes I know them all really well because Alicia do you know Alicia McCarthy have you heard Mm-mm. she's was part of that group anyhow she's my ex girlfriend and she's oh okay and her and this girl Ruby in that world when street art was really huge mm-hmm. um, did these beautiful horses I don't know you might have seen anyhow yeah. they were kind of famous in San Francisco but yeah I know I, all those guys really I made, well I worked on a documentary Beautiful Losers for two years oh, I don't know if you ever saw oh, that um, Aaron, Aaron Rose. Roses yeah. yeah I love Aaron yeah he's he's been great and supportive to, like a good awesome supportive yeah he's a great guy yeah really good guy um i did feel like like i was so lucky to spend that time with him and i learned so much from that that documentary it was great it's a great it's a great movie yeah Yeah. it's very it's like it's it's inspiring Uh you know and like not that many documentaries leave you with that feeling right which is my favorite i mean that's sort of like right now the only thing i want to watch are documentaries where i'm either learning something or walking away feeling alive right so you met jesse so we met jesse oh and so then he i mean i just love this part of the story because he so when you were making these big commercials back in the day you would get a plane ticket and the dga which is the director's guild has to send you um a business class or first class i forget it's like something so he cashed in his tickets because he was doing two commercials that had like a a few week window between them and we went to vietnam because somebody had told us vietnam was cool oh and god oh my god what's the the wong kar wai amazing dp's name is chris doyle chris mm-hmm. doyle jesse had worked with him on a commercial in hong kong and chris doyle emailed us and said come to this town called hoi an which is a little beach town in vietnam on this date and to see the most amazing night exterior lit completely by Vietnamese lanterns. So we were like, okay, fuck it. Let's go yeah, do that. Yeah. So we cashed in his DGA tickets. We flew first to Hong Kong and then to Vietnam and completely fell in love That's and um, went and saw Chris Doyle's night exterior, which was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen and <laughs> um, took home a bunch of Vietnamese lanterns that we still have. That's so cool. that was like the beginning and then of our relationship. And then, I came home to this roommate who he had dated in the past and she was furious and kicked me out. So as a cautionary tale, we moved in together like the week that we, that we got an apartment together in LA because I had been kicked out. And then I moved to New York to be with him on our apartment on Canal Street, which is this amazing loft that him and Donal had actually bought together Donald Logue had bought together and so I think I moved to New York the week after September 11th we had yeah so we had been in France because the Chateau Mm -hmm. was at the Deauville Film Festival we had I'd made him go to Burning Man the week before (laughs) um which which I being from San Francisco, San Francisco yeah. it's not that I'm lame. It's just that that's what I grew up doing. So I've been like yeah. six times, you know, but yeah. back when there was only a couple thousand people there. Right. I mean, I feel like it, it like got me excited about art again in some ways. Um, and when I was in LA, I'd started making some of my own films and my friend Georgie and I had tried to launch this political cabaret idea we'd had and it wasn't really working so I moved to New York right after September 11th, and that was a scary time, obviously, mm-hmm. to move here, and the world was scary, and I, I didn't really, you know, I was not sure what I wanted to do and didn't know that many people, and Jesse broke up with me, mm. and, and and suddenly I was in New York, like, uh, what do I yeah. do? Um, which I think is like, a, it's kind of like a necessary thing to have mm-hmm. happen when you move here like you have to go through your first winter and you have to not know what the fuck you're doing for a year and then you're a new yorker for it to get yeah for it to get exciting yeah and know. to also or like to search out for things yeah and you know? to become a real new yorker yeah. like you have to you have to like be crying on the street with your tears freezing and not you know and coming from california not knowing how to dress for the weather and yeah. not knowing where to live and sort of bouncing around it i don't know it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me so what were you so what was going through your mind at that time what 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 were you gonna spend your time doing well I had oh and then I'd also I've done a it's hard for me always to 
because when people ask what I, know, I do, do, I'm always it, like, yeah. I don't know a lot and nothing at the same time, <laughs> um, which was also like a really painful thing for me for so many years. And finally, I'm like, you know what? I do a lot of shit yeah. and it's great. Yeah. And I get to do all these amazing things that I like and they're all connected and mm-hmm. here's why. But um, so I had styled a cover of Mila Jovovich for Paper Magazine because she had started a management company and was managing my acting career and my styling career yeah. in air quotes and uh oh, and so i had met I, yeah so i had met everyone at paper magazine and this the the cover and the story inside actually turned out really well and so they sort of became my new york family and i went crying to kim hastrider my boyfriend broke up with me and and I remember Mickey Boardman was, he said, oh, well, at least you're going to have that great um, breakup diet, you know? And I was like, ah, I'm sorry, skinny, this isn't good. Um, but anyhow, Kim just sort of became my New York mom and gave me a place to work in their office and really took me under her, her wing. And, you know, I think that I'm in New York because of her, really. Mm. Um, she always just really believed in me and my point of view and really believed in, um, you know, fusing art and politics and having a bigger message and she's just been like an amazing cheerleader for me for the 15 years I've been here so that's amazing I want to give her a big shout out she's if you don't know who she is she's really like one of the most big-hearted generous intelligent and like hilarious and she is like the soul of paper magazine. Well, I mean, that's so. why it's probably been going for so yeah. long you know you need those figures she's a at those. fighter you yeah. know I mean it's like if there's anything that's tough right now it's being in publishing yeah. you know magazine publishing and she's just making it work and yeah. getting really creative about how she's doing it so um so I, so yes yeah, so i worked for them i started the citizens band which um that actually happened like a year later i think we had so okay so anyhow i was working at paper i was yeah. bouncing around dating were you writing were you i was doing starting styling? To, i was writing for yeah. paper i was styling for them i um I, so I also, at the time, met Maximilla Lukacs, who is my directing partner, who mm. I now make all my political PSAs with. But at the time, we started doing our first film, which was like an experimental meditation on love because we were both brokenhearted. And and it's actually like really beautiful and went to all these film festivals. It's called Kill Your Darlings. And Oh, I, f- I feel like I've heard of that. But there was another oh. one. There was it, This okay. is like the smallest, weirdest film okay. you've ever seen. But really beautiful and a great learning experience for me um and so we started doing music videos as well and just sort of like whatever anyone would hire us Mm -hmm. to do and um and then jesse and i got back together and uh got engaged got married and that year was the election the 2004 election no which election was it? It was not 2000. Yeah, 2004. It was yeah. Bush's re-election? Yeah. Yes, yes. It was two, I guess because yes, I remember was. that as yes. the moment I became like disillusioned. Me too. <laughs> and um, yes. And so we did this thing where we organized a group of uh, Californians and New Yorkers to do this swing state trip. And we ended up going to Florida to campaign for Kerry and um, lost, as we all know. And we mm-hmm. just came back. It was a bunch of like kooky artists. There was like a hundred of us, and we've done these swing state trips every year since then, or every election since then. Right. Um, and so Georgie and I were like, "Well, let's start this political cabaret." That and and Maximilian and I had a film screening at Deitch Projects, um, who had also become tight with like that whole crowd, mm-hmm. and all my San Francisco friends were showing there. Yeah. So I called Jeffrey Deitch, and I was like, "Hey." Oh, and also through my friend Adam Dugas, who was going out with Casey Spooner. Remember Fisher yes, Spooner? Of okay. course. <laughs> Taking it all Dude, back. Dude, I've got Fisher Spooner on my iPhone. I like it. It pops no, on all good, the time. No, it's good, right? Great. So, um, so, I had, so Adam and I sort of organized this thing with Jeffrey where he was like, you can do this weird cabaret idea, which was great. Like, he gave us the gallery for a whole night and let us hang a trapeze. I do trapeze also mm-hmm. and let me do trapeze <laughs> with this amazing woman I worked with, Chelsea Bacon. And... And so we gathered this group of people with, and the only thing was like, you need, it needed to look sort of Weimar, you know, that was always the aesthetic that I was drawn to. And and also like the art coming out of that period of Germany was so important and interesting. And, and, uh, 
these songs need to be political and then we're all going to put blood capsules in our mouths at the end and die. Like that's going to be what the show is with mm-hmm. some trapeze and stuff. And it ended up being this like amazing thing. And Jeffrey was there and that night um, signed us to his artist roster. Oh, amazing. And then we ended up um, doing a new show with whatever installation he had in the gallery every three months with this huge group of like 30 amazing activists and artists and dancers and performers. And, um, Deitch was such a great space. So good. It really was. So important. I've had like probably like more like visceral reactions to art and Deitch products than like probably almost any other space I've ever been to. And he's back. So hopefully he'll start doing some stuff again because Lord knows New York needs needs it. it. Needs it damn bad. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and yeah, so the citizens band kind of blew up and that became my life for, like six years it was really hardcore yeah sort of breakneck and ridiculous like he jeffrey took us to miami we opened our basel and you're you know it's just like crazy fun cool shit and um and you know really got me like very politicized again which was um great and so we started it with we started the citizens band i'm trying to karen elson rain phoenix um Paul and Paul Cantillon and Angela McCluskey. I mean, it just like really, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, you know, like basically 15 of us started this thing and we still do it. We're still in it together now. Um, So that's been a really fun, great thing for me. Well, what did you want to bring to the experience of political activism that was different from what you were seeing? Mm, You know, at the time, I just feel like there wasn't, entertainment itself wasn't very politicized. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, at that, this is 11, 12 years ago. So at that time, um, I think people were scared to make a statement or scared that it was going to be perceived as boring or not cool. You know, also, I'm very earnest in the Citizens Band, you know, as an extension of that has always been this earnest thing. And, um, but that's all I know, you know, and right. I, I can only do what I'm interested in right. or what speaks to my heart. So so we did that, and it was really received really well, like with all those Deitch Projects hipsters, you know, which is so <laughs> funny because I found them so intimidating and like, oh, oh God, I'll never be that cool. Yeah. And, you know, you remember that scene was like, it, you know, in the whole Fisher Spooner thing, it oh, was completely. like, you know, it was impressive. It was visually impressive, and like those people seemed tough and... And, you know, there was, I think, like, this sort of, like, cool negativity, and that's never been my thing. I'm always, like, I'm into, like, hopefulness and <laughs> um, trying to make the world better. So right. it was nice that we were embraced so warmly that's by cool. everybody, really. Um, so, yeah, my goal was just to challenge people's thinking and to, um, you know, talk about things that might make people uncomfortable, but in a beautiful, compelling and entertaining way. Right. And, you know, and I, I do always, you know, similar to what I was saying about this conversation over our holiday, I, I do think like if you can find a way to um, to not um, deliver things in an angry way, especially, you know, when it's coming from a place of privilege, like it's coming from me, you know, I mean, right. I, I think there's a place for anger in every movement, but like, I don't have that much to be angry about, right. but I do want to create like a platform and a voice and, and thought provoking ideas and, um, and, and gently like insist that we all fight for equality. I right. guess. But, but I think on a, on another respect too, the, the ideas, I think with a lot of, um, you know, activism, you kind of turn, it turns off the people that you're trying to get the message to. When you're coming at it from a place of anger. Right. I mean, whether it's, you know, you know, justified anger or like, you know, misguided anger. Right. I mean, you know, it's, it's hard. Like the goal is to turn people and to kind of get people from mm-hmm. other perspectives right. to, to hear you. Right. And I think, you know, this approach maybe that you, you've been taking with that comes from that place. It, it does. And it's also like the only approach I successfully know right. how to do. But, you know, I, I really try to... Um, be an ally in the Black Lives Matter movement, and I've gone to many, many of those marches and mm-hmm. and um, events. And you know, I, I would, I think there's a real legitimate place for anger in, you know, in um, issues like that. Uh, 
but you know, is it my place to be the person yelling on the street street corner? No, probably not. Mm-hmm. And it's also not, like I said, what I'm good at. So, um, so yeah, I've always just tried to, I guess, be a sort of a voice for and a conduit for messages mm. of um, social justice and equality. Well, is that one of the things that brought you to directing? Um, yeah. I mean, there's always been a flavor of that in everything I've done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't so much consider myself a director. I can direct and I think I'm good at it. Uh-huh. But, um, but <laughs> you know, I guess I'm more of a creative director. Right. And, you know, at this point I do a lot more writing than I do directing. But, um, you know, over the years we went from sort of like experimental film to mm-hmm music videos to fashion films and now most of the stuff I do is politically oriented and I work in conjunction with um, organizations that you know whose messages I want to get fi- behind and try to find creative ways right. to um, you know whatever it is like talk about reproductive justice or I just did a f- right. paid family leave video um, you know or I you know I always do a get out the vote video every general you know midterm and bigger elections um, so you know that's sort of like the filmmaking I'm mm-hmm. doing And you now. also, you did a project with Liz Winstead who created The Daily Show? Yeah, yeah. So, um, I love Liz. So, <laughs> when I was like eight months pregnant with our baby now, mm-hmm. he's two, but he's still a baby. I just want everyone to know. Um, and he always will be. Uh, <laughs> um, I saw Liz, I'd met Liz a few times, but I saw her out and I just marched up to her and I was like, I gotta do, you know, like, we gotta do something. And she... You know, and I was mostly talking about, um, I guess it was like two, right before the mid, the two years before the midterm elections, mm-hmm. um, which I, I do think, you know, it's a travesty that people don't go out and vote more mm-hmm. in those elections because our local politics are the most important yeah. in many ways and also like where things affect our lives most directly. So I'm trying to like get, make local politics sexier for people. Um, But anyhow, Liz is like a fucking hilarious powerhouse um, and warrior for women and had this idea for Lady Parts Justice already in the works. And so we went to DC, um, which was so exciting for me. And I, it was also really exciting to be like hugely pregnant and going in being like, we want to, we want to start lady parts justice and, um, (laughs) and, you know, wave the banner of reproductive justice all over the world. Um, so like, you know, she's been a great and another amazing mentor for me and so supportive. And, you know, through her, I met these heroes of mine, you know, I met, um, people from NARAL and Emily's List and Media Matters and just, you know, people doing really exciting work. And I'd always been so intimidated by DC and and Liz and Arun, who we also work with with Lady Parts Justice, really, like, uh, took my hand, introduced me to all these people. And I realized, oh, wow, like, people in DC are kind of square. And what they really want is like us weirdos from New York and California, wherever the artists to come in and be like, we have this kooky idea. (laughs) And they get so excited. Like any of us can have like a cool idea and call up our favorite, you know, policymakers or, (laughs) uh, you know, uh, organizations in DC and and go in and have a meeting with them and they're right. fucking psyched like right. so that was like a real revelation to me as well I once interviewed Lori Anderson and she was talking about how um this was like years ago for something not for the podcast but mm-hmm. I wish I could interview Lori Anderson oh, yeah she's so cool she is the sweetest she's I've so heard that, awesome yeah. like just like this like this perfect balance of just like powerful uh-huh. and sweet yeah you know it's yeah. just like it's a rare trait yeah and uh she was talking about how she was one of the fir- she was the first artist in residence at NASA. Oh wow! And she was talking about how she's like all of our institutions need to have artists in residence. Like mm-hmm. that's a voice that needs to be considered yeah. in the dialogue yeah. always. Yeah. Just as much as anybody else's. You know right. what I mean? So I totally understand. Well, it's interesting. You know, when you're talking about um, should I turn just, the light on? Is this getting too dark for I you? I mean, no. Yeah. I mean, the light on your eyes is really nice right now. <laughs> okay. But um, but yeah, turn. You can okay. turn on a light. <laughs> <laughs> I still want to ruin the momentum. Okay, yeah. Um, I was just going to say, like, the interesting thing about, um, you know, fusing art and politics is that uh, what we found with these videos we've been making stuff is, like, you really effectively get the message out in a way that uh, people can absorb a lot 
better. And, you know, some of the videos we've made have had millions and millions of viewers and get passed around. And, and so I think she, I think Lori Anderson is correct. I think, um, you know, that world can become so dry and sort of alienating. And I think we all assume that we don't know enough or aren't smart enough or don't have enough information. And the truth is like, you, you just need to be passionate and, um, put some energy as often as you can into whatever um, issue you're passionate about. And certainly, like, as artists living in New York, um, that is a privilege. You know, that is, like, a really esteemed and privileged and lucky position to be in. And I I think it's almost our duty to um, create things that um, are positive and hopeful and Mm -hmm. change-making. Oh, it makes sense. I guess another thing that I wanted to talk about was, um, you know, because I, and I'm asking this also as like almost like more as like some advice, mm-hmm. but like how um, how do you maintain kind of having this creative drive and working on these creative projects mm-hmm. and still being able to be like a parent? Um, well, that's a big question uh, because it scares it, me because like I'm well, like yeah yeah no you're heading in that direction. <laughs> um, here's the interesting thing: like you become like being a parent has also been a revelation to me on so many levels. Um, you become much more efficient with your time. Mm, You don't have a lot of time to navel gaze. Your priorities become a lot clearer. I'd like that too. Um, something that used to take you a day will take you two hours (laughs) because you only have two hours. Um, there's all those things. And then there's like really bummer, surprising things that happen as well. You know, it's, it's hard, you know, it's hard and it's exhausting. I, I think, men and women, you know, I, I haven't noticed this as much as in my friends who are same sex parents, but, um, it's very easy to fall into gender, you know, very typical gender, stereotypical gender roles. Mm -hmm. And, um, you really have to fight tooth and nail against that. And it's not, um, and it's not an easy process to like dig your way out of. So, you know, it's funny, like most women who I see after having babies, you know, I'm like, well, how is it? And there's always this sort of, you know, serene maternal quality, but also this sort of forlorn quality of like, I really thought it was going to be more equal. You know, that's Mm -hmm. what you hear over and over again. And it's, it's not, you know, and, and, you know, by nature, it's not. And I think the way we're socialized, it's not. And, um, so that's something I write about. I'm really interested in sort of the intersection of, um, feminism and motherhood and gender roles and parenting and, um, you know, all that stuff has really become super interesting to me just because I tend to work on whatever right. my personal struggle is, not because yeah. I'm an expert, but because I'm trying to work it out for myself. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, I've been working on that a lot recently. Um, I think there's no such thing as like work, family, work, life balance. Like that doesn't exist. I think like the, I think sort of the most progressive answer to your question uh-huh. is, um, has more to do with like our culture of work in this country and how um break what's that breakneck is that a thing breakneck, breakneck speed yeah, yeah yeah it's that this break it's it's and and i think men especially are are pushed to uh provide for their families and you know and on the one hand there's this the burden of that and on the other hand there's this real um uh entitlement that you know for example my husband feels very okay about like taking every job he can get because he on the one hand feels this burden to support our family and certainly he makes a lot more money than I do and most men do make more you know and and certainly and then like when the woman's a breadwinner in a heterosexual relationship like that's a whole other clusterfuck but um so I think like the answer is in changing the way we think about work Mm -hmm. valuing caregiving more um, culturally and, you know, recognizing that like the work we do at home is as important as the work we do in the office or wherever you're doing your work. Um, I think like raising our boy, you know, I think we talk so much about like raising strong girls and feminist girls. And I, I intuitively, it was interesting because my oldest is a girl, like I was Mm -hmm. very passionate about that, but intuitively, like I know how to do that. 
you know, I understand like what was lacking for me as a girl and like when my voice left me and what I did to get it back. And, and I can intuit, you know, her journey, but boys are difficult. You know, it's difficult because the messages they get sent are just as bad as the messages girls get sent. And I don't know, there's no roadmap for that quite yet. I know. And so, you know, I think like the best way to do it is to like shoulder the burden of caregiving equally and together and like really treat it almost like a business. Like Mm -hmm. that's what my husband and I have started doing sort of is recognizing being a couple and having kids is like running a corporation. Yeah. You you take the things you're good at, uh-huh. you divvy them up right. and and then you sort of like are accountable to each other for these like specific things and, and it your, has to be your weekly board meetings. Yeah, yeah. no and we're not even like our shit is so not together like yeah. we are a mess. You know, and uh, so I don't know, it I don't know if, if that answers the question. No, at all. No, but it I does, mean those it does, are it does. weirdly like those are the things I found most helpful and also I really think a lot about um, I want to be, we both want to be the kind of parents that, um, you know, are raising boys and girls the same way and not putting any sort of like gen, as many, as few gender expectations on them as we can, which is really hard. Like yeah. it sounds great no, to say so, it, but it's, it's so hard, so hard and so hard because also they're, you know, they're drawn to that in a way, right? Like we were just buying presents for the holidays and I was like, do we really want to get her like the princess thing? Mm-hmm. Like, shouldn't we get her the fire truck? And she's like. And I was like, no, but she really likes the princess right. thing. Right. You know, and if I had bought my daughter the fire truck, like the deep disappointment yeah. would have, you know, she doesn't want a fire truck. Right. She wanted the princess thing. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, there's all that stuff. I guess also like teaching your kids as early as you can various age appropriate critical thinking. So, mm-hmm. you know, because you can't shield them from all the crap out in the world, but what you can do is teach them how to see it and sort of like deconstructed in yeah, a fi- in the, in the best way that a five-year-old right. or an eight-year-old or a right. two-year-old can that's really smart um i like that what what's something that you know when knowing the things that you know now what's something that you wish you could have told yourself when you were starting out oh just that there's no answer there's no right way of doing anything yeah. um i mean I, I it took me a long time to like I always thought there was like a right way to say something or a right way to experience something or do something. And you just, I I think like the gift of age and I'm really liking getting older for Mm -hmm. so many reasons. Um, You know, I think especially as a woman, it's like incredibly freeing, like not, you don't have to be the prettiest or the, the youngest or the ingenue. Like you just get to be the weirdo with, you know, (laughs) with the red lips. I don't know, you know, like whatever (laughs) your thing is, you you. get to be that person. Um, Yeah, just that there's no right way to do anything. Um, I think that's a real trap. What makes all the hard work worth it? Oh, I I mean, I don't know. I I mean, the one thing, the other trap I would say about parenting is, especially mothers feel this generally more than fathers do, is just this... Um, overarching sense of failure and like you're not doing enough in any you know like I'm yeah. not a good enough parent and I'm not doing enough work I, so I don't uh, I don't know that I ever feel like what I'm doing is good enough or, or worth it that's still something I'm working on I guess I would tell that to my younger self mm-hmm. too is um, you're never gonna feel uh, completely satisfied or full and right. that's okay it's like the it's like the hungry ghost. Yeah. You know, in Buddhism, like the concept of the hungry ghost. I don't know that around. concept, oh, okay. but I like that. I like where you're going yeah. with it. Yeah. <laughs> There's this hungry ghost that just follows you around yeah. and you can never get enough. No, and it's and, never enough. and Nothing, then you, you know? have to like embrace that and realize that's what keeps you curious and keeps you driven. And I now I'm so grateful, like I'm never gonna know the answer, you know, mm-hmm. and you're not and I don't wanna know the answer and I don't wanna be right about everything. And I think one of the biggest gifts I can give my kids is to say, I don't know and like I'm sorry <laughs> I messed up and yeah. you know, I I want I don't want them to feel like there's any right way to do anything either. You know, I want them I want I think my goals for myself and for my kids is just to be compassionate and kind and generous in spirit and uh, just be good people. I want them to care about, um, 
I want them to understand their privilege and care about people whose lives are different than theirs and try to, you know, just be as good as you can be, I guess. That's all I'm trying to do. (laughs) That's great. Last question. Um, What's next for you? What are you you looking forward to? Um, well, this is an election year. Yes. So, um, <laughs> it's going to be a busy time. It's going to be a busy time. Yeah. I started a website with my college friend, um, Nicole, and who's a rad mom feminist also. So we started a website called At Once and that, and inter- exploring the intersection of feminism and motherhood basically Mm -hmm. but parenthood really and that's been exciting because people have been responding really well to that um i'm writing a lot i just did a a paid family leave psa with emily's list and i imagine i'll be doing some more be doing a lot of get out the vote stuff um i'm sure we'll do a citizens band show we just did one in the summer and that was great and you know i don't know i just i want to i mean i'm very committed this year to like getting people to vote Great. That's you know I think that um, it certainly it's not the answer but it's um, the first step in our civic duty and uh, and I think if it, it's almost impossible for anyone to believe that voting doesn't matter considering sort of the divisiveness of the and and the yeah. shitty rhetoric coming out of the GOP right now I think I we have like a huge huge year ahead of us in reproductive rights. Um, so it's darkest a, before the dawn. I hope you're right. Um, but yeah, no, look at the. I mean, like, what? Oregon just announced the other day that uh, birth control is over right? the counter. It's Every easier to get a month. gun than it is to get. <laughs> I mean, hopefully Obama made some progress with that today. Yeah. He did a really, he did, I mean, a little bit, as much as he could He's do. He's trying. He's trying. I met Obama, like, last week. That oh. was exciting. I went to the White House. That's pretty huge. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. We And, and Michelle. Yeah. I cried. That was exciting. They're That's great. That's really cool. Um, but yeah, so I'm just gonna keep on keeping on and oh, yeah. try to fight the good fight. Yeah. And be a good ally. Stuff like that. Sarah Sophie Flicker. Thank you so much for oh coming my God, over. Thank you so much. This yeah, was so fun. It was awesome. Thank you. <laughs>